1: an Ole Miss podcast with your host, Brad Logan. Your home for Ole Miss sports. To be a part of the show, email the show at Logan at loganmedianetwork.com or shoot him a DM on Twitter at Brad Logan C-O-T-E. Download the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe, rate, and leave a review online. And now, from the vault to the pavilion, to Swayze Field—it's all Ole Miss all the time. Here's your host, Brad Logan.
2: And while it might have be seniors that you're saying goodbye to, it maybe, uh, maybe some underclassmen that uh, that we say goodbye to. So, uh, it is a special night for sure. It's always a special night to say goodbye uh, to the people that you've cheered for all these years, and uh, it's an opportunity to see this Ole Miss football team one more time before it goes on the road in the final game. Of the season when it faces a uh, Mississippi State team that uh, let's just say Mississippi State's getting really hot at the right time of the season. Coach Mike Leach, uh, quarterback Will Rogers, uh, they're throwing it around the field a lot, and uh, it's going to be a tough task for Miss, for, for Ole Miss. Uh, Against Mississippi State, but what else is new? The Egg Bowl is going to be absolutely crazy this year, and uh, we're excited for it here on the Believe in Ole Miss podcast. Uh, But let's not uh, let's not get the car before the horse. There's a Vanderbilt team waiting, a Vanderbilt team that uh, has had some struggles this year, but uh, as history shows, Vanderbilt always plays Ole Miss tough, and I expect Vandy to uh, to put up a good fight on Saturday night. As always, we're grateful for the partnership we have with CBS, along with 247 Sports and Inside the Rebels. Uh, if you have a chance, go to 247Sports.com just scroll down and find the Ole Miss site and uh, be a part of that. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of great things going on with Chris Brooks is handling recruiting. Uh, editor and publisher David Johnson is kind of overseeing everything and doing a fantastic job. Tyler Comus is doing a wonderful job as well, covering Ole Miss men's and women's basketball. Recruiting is hot and heavy the lifeblood of uh, sports message boards. And uh, there are definitely plenty of options for you, and and, and 247 Sports is a great spot for you. Uh, The composite rankings that 247 Sports has is uh, some of the best in the business. And Chris Brooks is, uh, boy, he's getting his feet wet, and and, and there's a thread – on the board right now that has to do with a couple of big-time uh, commits in Mississippi that are no longer commits. So uh, be sure and log on to uh, Inside the Rebels, an affiliate of 247 Sports and also a proud partner of the Believe in Ole Miss podcast. If you have a chance, download, subscribe, and rate, review the podcast, it is uh, it's blowing up beyond measure, and we're so excited about the partnership. We've got some big things coming for you down the road. We do have that title and presenting sponsorship is available as we work through some other things if you're interested in being part of the podcast in that capacity. Just shoot us a direct message on Twitter at Brad C O T E, or you can always shoot us an email at Logan at LoganMediaNetwork.com. We'll take a timeout, come back, and we'll break down this football game between Texas A&M and Ole Miss. It's the Rebels 29-19 over Texas A&M to run their record to 8-2 and in the season. That 10 game, or I should say winning 10 games in the regular season, something that's never been done at Ole Miss is still a possibility. But Mississippi State and Vanderbilt Uh, stand in the way we'll see what happens down the road as the Rebels have Vanderbilt coming up and then followed by Mississippi State of course we'll have all those breakdowns for you right here on the Believe and Ole Miss podcast a part of the Believe podcast network
3: three Stanley Leonard Prince are all on the field third down and 10 from the 35 for the Aggies 507 to play Ole Miss 22 Texas A&M 13 there's a snap Three-man rush. Williams off the edge. Looks like he's being held. The pass downfield. Picked off! It's intercepted! Headed the other way is A.J. Finley! To the 20! To the 15! To the 10! To the end zone! Touchdown, Ole Miss!
0: It is a place which exerts an extraordinary pull on all who have walked its hallowed ground. Thousands come each year, and yet no one ever really leaves. Ole Miss is for life. A major university with the familiar intimacy of family. Friendships that are more than friendships. Moments that are more than moments. An autumn celebration on a Saturday afternoon in the Grove. Contests waged and triumphs savored. With our largest freshman class, Soaring Honors College, national reputation for academics and research, Our pride is overflowing. Today, more than ever, for all who have ever called this magical place home, you never leave Ole Miss.
2: back to the show. We appreciate you being part of the Believe and Ole Miss podcast right here on the Believe Podcast Network. Also an affiliate of 247 Sports and Inside the Rebels. We're excited about the partnership with the 247 crew and Inside the Rebels. here We'll hear from Michael Katz here in just a moment. As it stands, Ole Miss defeats Texas A&M 29-19. The Rebels score a couple of touchdowns late, one of those coming by way of a defensive pick six. And uh, it was a day in which Ole Miss outgained Texas A&M quite a few yards in the first half. Over 400 yards for Ole Miss. uh, Total offense in the first half and Texas A&M only had 91. The Rebels were able to get out uh, on the field first. They took the ball, drove it all the way down to the field. uh, But Texas A&M stifled uh, the Ole Miss offense, something that they did very, very well in the first half in this football game Caden Costa has been so good this year, a 33-yard field goal. It was good with 12.56 to go in the first quarter. It didn't take long for Ole Miss to get all the way down to the field. The Rebels, as they did the entire first half, uh, kept Texas A&M from getting hardly any first downs. They definitely kept them scoreless, as Ole Miss would take a 15 to nothing lead into the half. The Rebels would score first on an Ontario Drummond two-yard touchdown pass from Matt Goral. The Caden Costa kick was good with 6.48 to go in the first quarter.
3: On the right hash, pistol formation. You got Ely, and there. there's the back, there's the snap. Quick pass, it's caught by Drummond. Touchdown, Ole Miss.
2: A couple more red zone trips for Ole Miss. Uh, no points. So the Rebels only lead ten to nothing after the first quarter. The second quarter, Coach Lane Kiffin elected, since they've had some red zone uh, snafus, not getting those fourth down plays. Caden Costa comes on a 32 yard field goal to extend the lead to 13 to nothing with nine thirty four to go in the first half. Ole Miss would again get down in the red zone. Would able, was not able to get any points at all. The good news, the ball was sitting on about the six inch line, and Ole Miss was able to. Uh, make a play in the end zone, and get a team safety where the Rebels would extend that lead 15 to nothing, before half.
3: and right, there's the snap. He's going to hand it off to Spiller, who's in the end zone. He doesn't get out! He does not get out! Keedron Smith, Chance Campbell, and they'll get him for a safety.
2: And thank you once again to uh, Dan Courts of Learfield for supplying those highlights. Of course, that's David Kellum and uh, Harry Harris on the Ole Miss radio network. It was the Ole Miss defense that kept this football team in the game, uh, the offense just could not could not get into the end zone. But you credit this old Miss defense. Texas A&M, a team that it uh, behind uh, Spiller, behind A-Chain. They had Adiah Smith, that was the wide receiver, had done a great job. And it was Zach Calzada that was held scoreless in the first half. You knew A&M would probably make some form of a comeback in the second half. They did. But it was this old Miss defense that always stood up and did a great job of keeping uh, this Aggie team out of the end zone. You open things up in the third quarter, and Texas A&M uh, did have possession. They drove the length of the field, and Seth Small, great kicker, connected from 30 yards out. The defense held them out of the end zone once again. 10 1003 to go in the third quarter. Ole Miss leading 15-3. The Ole Miss defense, once again, doing a pretty good job, but that offense became lifeless. In the third quarter, it was all Texas at m Devin A. Chain, a great running back for the Aggies. A 24-yard run. Seth Small connected on his point after try. 6-24 in this football game. Things become a little more uncomfortable. 15-10. to Now that lead is slashed into five points. Ole Miss leading with only 6.24 to go in the third quarter. In the fourth quarter, the Aggies once again continue to, to march down the field, but the Ole Miss bend, uh, bended, but it did not break, just like all season long. They hold the Aggies to uh, field goal once again. 43-yard field goal effort is good with 10.19 to go in the game. That lead is cut down from 15 to 13. So the, the Rebels, a very, very small lead. But credit the Ole Miss offensive line. You know, one thing uh, a lot of folks aren't talking about, is Eli Acker, the uh, the young man that was playing right guard, he came in and played for Jalen Cunningham. Acker played uh, did a nice job, specifically on this drive and the Snoop Connor touchdown run, a 13 yard Snoop Connor touchdown run. Caden Costas' kick was good. The Rebels extended their lead, and they very much needed to, 22 to 13 with 6:32 to go in the game.
3: Hand off to Snoop up the middle. He's got some room to the ten to the five. Get in there, baby! Touchdown, Ole Miss! well the rebels will continue to run the football david we've been talking about how tough it was between the tackles this time just a little crease right behind that right guard position that's eli acker
2: and you heard harry harrison make the comment about how right guard eli acker just blew up that a defensive front for texas a&m he had a really big game and that was a big score late in the game with only like we said 632 to go in the game but here Could have been the absolute play of the game. A.J. Finley has been phenomenal in the secondary for Ole Miss, and boy did he come up big late in the game, intercepting and returning at 52 yards. The Caden Costa kick was good with 4.50 to go in the game. He intercepts Zach Calzada, and Ole Miss takes a commanding lead in this football game.
3: Prince are all on the field. Third down and ten. From the 35 for the Aggies. 5.07 to play. Ole Miss 22. Texas AM 13. There's a snap. Three man rush. Williams off the edge. Looks like he's being held. The pass downfield. Picked off. It's intercepted. Headed the other way is A.J. Finley. To the 20, to the 15, to the 10, to the end zone. Touchdown. Ole Miss.
2: Now I understand, you've got Chance Campbell has played phenomenal this year. Sam Williams arguably could be the player of the year for the entire team. But A.J. Finley has played phenomenal over the last couple of weeks at secondary in the secondary for Ole Miss. A couple of picks. Of course, we remember the pick last week against Liberty, and uh, they had a, he had a big play against Texas A&M this past Saturday. A.J. Finley, big, big-time player. Now, Texas A&M would not go down without a fight. Uh, they scored late in the game, a Devon A-chain, a nine-yard run. But once again, like we've said all year, that defense for Ole Miss stepped up. On the two-point conversion, it was knocked down, and the score was 29-19. to At that point, it was a two-score game. The score came with 3:11 to go on the clock, and Ole Miss did a great job of grinding the clock out, getting a couple of first downs, and keeping Texas A&M out of the end zone for the remainder of the game. And Ole Miss comes away with a win, 29-19. to We'd be remiss if we did not talk about just how big of a play it was or how big it was to have Dontario Drummond and Braylon Sanders back onto the field for this Ole Miss team. Having them back, I think, said a lot about what this program can do going forward. You know, this was a team that, that was playing really well down the stretch. It was a team that uh, w- was kind of going on all cylinders with that offensive game plan under Jeff Levy and uh, head coach Lane Kiffin. And when a lot of the key components of that offense go down and then you have a quarterback that's injured, all of a sudden things change. And when you start to run the football uh, – you kind of become one-dimensional. Well, we said going into the Texas A&M game, what Ole Miss had to do was not be one-dimensional, and they came out throwing the football. And by the way, is there a more improved player than Ja'Cour Pearson on this Ole Miss football team? Talk about taking a step up and taking adversity and just grabbing it by the horns and turning it upside down. Ja'Cour Pearson could have absolutely quit after the Tennessee game. A very difficult holding foul, that that he that he uh would that he was tagged with and then dropping a couple of passes, what's he do? He just gets better. He gets back into the wide receiver room and comes out, and just fights hard. And and I have a lot of respect for, for uh Ja'Cour Pearson because if it weren't for J Ju- Pearson, I don't know that Ole Miss wins those games down the stretch without the injured players. I really don't. I mean I, I think he's been the glue on this offense because sometimes uh Matt needed someone to go to. And that person has Benjikour Pearson. and to some extent, Casey Kelly, the tight end. But Ole Miss had everybody, but Jonathan Mingo back, along with Chase Rogers. Both those two players were out. Of course, Ben Brown is out for the season because of a an injured shoulder that he had surgery on. But what about the game by Jerry on Ely? There are a couple of things that happened on Saturday. Lane Kiffin called out Jerry on in the running attack. He also previous earlier in the year he did. He also called out the Ole Miss fans. I think both those things and I think both those instances heeded the call. I think it's pretty safe to say. I wrote a piece that's about to run for 247 Sports and Inside the Rebels. I spoke with Paris Buchanan, the director of marketing and fan experience. He's an associate AD at Ole Miss. And we went over the light show before the game. And for, for people that were there, you remember it was fantastic. We went over the DJ situation. about how the It's basically an in-game party. Is what it is. It's a party in Oxford now, in the stadium, and uh, boy, it's uh, it was a lot of fun, and we we went over a lot of that. So Lane Kiffin had called the fans out, and said you know we wish we had what we had at Tennessee. I wish we had that. Well, coach, I think they answered the call for you because Ole Miss absolutely stood up with game day in town and with uh, everything going on, the Rebel fans responded in kind. The other person who responded was Jerry Ely. 24 carries, 152 yards. He was great. And I thought that's what Ole Miss had to do. Once you open up that running attack and you, and you make Elko, the defensive coordinator for Texas in and respect the passing game, then you can hit him with the run. And that's what Ely did. Matt Corral, a great day. Uh, again, he, he, was, he was not sharp as he usually is. But he still had a great day. 24-37 for 247 yards, one touchdown. Once again. Not as sharp as he has been, but he didn't have to be. When you got a complement of running backs like Ely and Parrish and, and Snoop Connor, you don't have to be perfect, and he wasn't. But uh, I commend the Ole Miss rushing attack. Henry Parrish, nine carries, 58 yards. Snoop Connor, 11 carries, 51 yards, and had the one touchdown. So uh, a big game uh, on, on the on the ground for Ole Miss, 257 yards. And Matt Corral, 247 yards through the air. On the receiving core, Ja'Cour Pearson, uh, led the team in yardage, five catches for 69 yards. Braylon Sanders, three catches for 56 yards. Dontario Drummond, six catches for 49 yards and had the one touchdown from two yards out. Ely had four catches for 34. Casey Kelly had four catches for 21. And John Rice Plumby played sparingly, had two catches for 18. I thought Matt Corral, if anything, distributed the ball great. Some of the catches were circus catches because they weren't great passes. A lot of that has to do with the ankle of, of Matt Corral, but a lot of it has to be that you can't be sharp every game. And he wasn't, but he was good enough to win. And I can assure you, if he, if you were to ask uh, Matt Corral or Lane Kiffin or Jeff Levy, be good enough to win, and that's exactly what he was. Credit that Ole Miss defense. Zach Calzada, 24-42, 237 through the air. No touchdowns, two interceptions. I mean, that's, that's just what you have to do. He was not going to be a running threat. I think that helps Ole Miss this week. Uh, Vanderbilt does not have a quarterback that's going to be very mobile. Mississippi State's Will Rogers is not a mobile quarterback. I think that's a nice matchup for Ole Miss. On the ground, A-Chain, really good running back. I was impressed by him. He just had, he just ran up into a good defense on Saturday. A-Chain, 12 carries, 110 yards, had two touchdowns. Spiller, boy, listen to these numbers. Spiller, 15 carries, 41 yards. That says a lot about Sam Williams, Chance Campbell, the defensive front, secondary led by uh, – A.J. Finley. And what about Dean Leonard? Leonard, who injured last week against Liberty, comes on and leads his team in tackles. Now, you don't really want your, you know, cornerback to lead your team in tackles, but that just shows that he does not mind coming up and popping from the secondary slot. Dean Leonard. Great job. nice Smith, five, uh, five catches, 77 yards. Had a good game. He's good. Widermeyer, great tight end. He'll be playing the league one day. Five catches, 68 yards. Uh, Demise, five carries, uh, five catches, 43 yards. Chapman, three catches for 22 yards. Rebels holding Texas NM to 237 through the air. And uh, once again, the Rebels did a great job between the interceptions. Uh, they didn't get a fumble, uh, but they did cause a fumble. And I thought, I thought the Rebels played well. They, did, uh, they, being Ole Miss did not turn it over but once. And that was, of course, the Matt Corral fumble when uh, Texas AM was able to get into the backfield caused a lot of trouble. Richardson, a great player for Texas A&M, 13 total tackles. Cooper with 11 and Johnson with 11 and O'Neal, uh, Lyle O'Neal, Jr., one of the best defensive tackles that Ole Miss will see, 10 tackles. He's a good player. Uh, Texas A&M is a good defense. Now, Ole Miss uh, was just better than Texas A&M on Saturday. I mean, I think you can just be better. I, th- I think you, we could make arguments that, that Texas A&M did not play well on offense, but I think a lot of that, I think most of that has to do with that Ole Miss defense. I think at some point, hand raised, I'm raising my hand right here, you know, people are going to have to respect the defense and the job that D.J. Durkin and Chris Partridge has done. It, it's been much better than I could have ever imagined. You date all the way back to how well they played against Liberty down the stretch. I know they they gave up quite a bit in the third quarter, but that game should have been 38 to nothing at half. The week before, only giving up three points to Auburn, keeping Ole Miss in the game. The, Auburn, the Ole Miss offense played horrible on the Plains against Auburn. That Ole Miss defense kept Ole Miss in the game. They did the same thing against Texas A&M. When you can have that many yards on the ground and not get the ball in the zone, I mean, I just, you know, for the life of me, could not understand if you're at the six-inch line why you don't get under center. Now, you know, we've asked that question, and it's pretty much, well, that's not our offense. Well, I get it. But my goodness, if you can't get six inches on a quarterback sneak, once again, probably not in the book. And look, Ole Miss is 8-2, far be it for me from from arguing what's in the book and what's not. As it stands, Ole Miss is 8-2, 4-2 and, two, four and two in the conference, an opportunity to get to 10 wins for the first time in program history in the regular season. And I know a lot, I mean, it's they didn't start playing regular season games after 10 games until, you know, how many ever years ago, I get it, but. Still though, that's that's a that's a pretty lofty feat. The question now is where does Ole Miss go in regards to like a bowl game? I think a New Year Six is a is a possibility without question. I mean, if you're ranked, you know, 10, 12, or maybe if you get high as eight, that's obviously a possibility. But but please, I mean, I think I don't know that any Ole Miss fan is looking past the, the final two opponents. But I can assure you. There's no reason to. These are going to be – now, Vanderbilt has struggled. I mean, the line opened up at, I think, 34, jumped up to 38. I think it came back down a little bit to 36. But it's a really high number. And, you know, I expect Ole Miss to win the game handily. Thursday night, on the other hand, it is going to be an absolute war. It's going to be an absolute war because, and someone pointed this out on Twitter, Ole Miss and Mississippi State will be fighting for the second spot in the SEC West. Now, who would have chalked that up at SEC Media Day's? Who would have chalked up that Ole Miss and Mississippi State would be fighting for the second spot in the SEC West come Egg Bowl, come Thanksgiving? Heck of a feat. Ole Miss, should, Ole Miss fans should be very, very happy. Ole Miss fans should hold their head up high because this program, as I looked down and saw Athletic Director Ross Bjork and Keith Carter talking, I, I began thinking uh, a few years ago about where this, where, where this program was. And unfortunately – you know, I know I'm probably in the minority here, but Ross Bjork gets tagged with a lot of the NCAA mess. And look, I mean, we could argue about what Ross did in regards to the NCAA and we might come to some differences. I understand that. But people forget what he did, he being Ross Bjork, what he walked into when he took the job following Pete Boone. People forget the money that he raised, the coaches that he hired, the facilities that he upgraded. So, Again, I'm not, here, I'm not here to apologize for Ross Bjork by any stretch, but I think he gets a lot of the brunt of this that probably he doesn't deserve. But I saw down there, and I saw him talking to Keith Carter, and I began thinking, where would this program be without Ole Miss Athletic Director Keith Carter? Let that sink in for a moment. Between Coach Yo, the support that she has, between Coach Kermit Davis and the, the pavilions, a great facility now, He's got a lot of things going for him. And most importantly, what we're talking about today is the success on the football field is because of Keith Carter. The money that's being raised, being able to get through the pandemic without having to borrow everything you have. And oh, by the way, no one had to be put on any type of plan to have a reduction in salary that entire year of the pandemic because Keith Carter managed that properly. He was over the Ole Miss Athletic Foundation for years, so he had a pretty good idea about money. But I think more than anything, he hired Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin has taken this program and put it on his back, and it has now become a rocket ship towards the height of college football fandom. And that's because of Lane Kiffin. But he was put in that position because of Keith Carter. So from a facility standpoint, and oh, by the way, Walt Hemingway Stadium, which we broke on this program, is going to have a massive massive overhaul Ben Garrett had a great interview with Keith Carter on talk of champions podcast and he kind of went into more detail about how that uh the renovation is going to be and essentially said that come bowl game time he should have some renderings but from what he said it's going to be a from the ground up softball is on the docket not to mention the the Manning Center is going to have a huge overhaul beginning, I believe uh, the shovel is going to be put in the ground pretty soon, and then we'll have some major renovations coming around February. So Keith Carter has a lot of has a lot of people that should thank him. I think a, pop, a lot of people are probably aware of that as well. Ole Miss and Vanderbilt will face each other on Saturday night. It'll be an opportunity for Ole Miss to knock on wood, play some younger players, and uh, most importantly, uh, gear up for a huge matchup against Mississippi State on Thanksgiving, a very short week. Of course, that'll be Thursday night. That'll be on ESPN, and the entire college football world will be watching this one because a ton of of implications will be on this football game, both from a Mississippi State standpoint and an Ole Miss standpoint. Here's Michael Katz, by the way. Great interview with Michael. Let's get the get the weeds a little bit about college game day and get Michael's take on this Texas A&M win over Ole Miss and maybe where the program is headed under Lane Kiffin, specifically this year, what bowl game. We'll hear more, more from Michael Katz of the Northeast Mississippi W. Journal right here on the Believe in Ole Miss podcast, a part of the Believe Podcast Network. Creating a legacy takes time. Takes dedication, spirit, and a greater vision. That vision starts here at the University of Mississippi. What will you be remembered by? Your character,
0: your contributions, your friendship. Your legacy will define who we are now and who we are becoming for our state, our students, and our future. Ole Miss, build your legacy.
2: Now joined by Michael Katz, who covers the Ole Miss Rebels for the Northeast Mississippi Daily Journal, and uh, I guess has a newfound uh, respect maybe for Ole Miss, Michael. You got to see College Game Day in person.
4: Man, it was uh, it, it was. I calculated, it. I didn't think about it until I got home, but it was it was about a 19-hour day. I, I, I'm not a morning person, but I woke up at 5:30, which is really really early for me. Uh, but it, it was a long day, but it was it was tons of fun. I. I uh, you know, you 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 watch the show every morning. Uh, I've been watching College Game Day forever, and you just don't see everything that goes into it. Um, and just like being behind the scenes and just seeing not only the fans, but just how the production goes. It's it, it is it is quite it is quite the production. I I, I gained a lot of respect for all the people uh, all the people behind it. It definitely takes a village to get that show going. That's for sure.
2: Yeah, and going a little bit deeper into that, I know you you and I had a chance to visit with some of the staff. Some of the uh, the anchors on Friday, and then of course on Saturday, you kind of got an up close view of, of Herb Street and Corso and, and Pollock and the rest of the crew behind the scenes. What did you see that kind of stood out to you? That you kind of surprised you, maybe, or you or you didn't expect?
4: Um, I, I guess it would just be how like just constantly moving the show is um, you know, when you're watching it on TV, it just kind of seems like they're always in the same place, but they are moving around from like set to set a lot. Uh, they're, they're going to, you know, get coffee. They're, 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 they're moving to, you know, they have the field set and they have the, you know, the one where they, they do all of the, uh, all the, all the picks and all that. They're, they're constantly moving, which is not something I don't know for some reason in my head, I just thought they stayed in one place for like three hours. Uh, even though I knew that they like changed sets, uh but just to kind of see it firsthand see how how much moving around there is um just to see um you know how you don't really also you know feel you 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 can watch college game day on TV and see fans and think it's really cool but when you're actually there and you see how many people are there you really you feel it you feel the gravity of 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 the moment and just how much it means to people and you know i talked to people who got there at like 2 a.m there was someone who got there at 8 p.m like the night before to get their spot which seems a little bit excessive but is also kind of awesome uh you know you guys what you gotta do to to get that front row spot but uh you know there's 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 just people are so passionate and I think we kind of take it for granted and when we see it on TV. That like, yeah, it's awesome. Fans are there, but when you actually get to see it and and you're you're talking to them and you just see how excited they are to be there and, and to see Corso and Herb Street and Dez and you know when Lane came out, it was like a superhero came out on stage. I mean, it was just it was really really cool. So I I, I would say that the just kind of how much the, the the crew itself kind of moves around surprised me, and then just sort of seeing the atmosphere first person really kind of hit me hard. It was I, I, I'm a lifelong college football fan, and, and I don't think that's, that's ever going to get old for me. It's something I'm going to definitely cherish.
2: Listening to Herb Street and, of course, Reese Davis, when Potluck's on stage, Coach Corso and then Desmond Howard, listening to them kind of dissect games and talk about what they're looking for during the day is almost like drinking a smooth cup of coffee. When they go to break, do they scream and yell and rant and rave, or are they still just as smooth as always?
4: No, it's funny they're uh they're like joking around. Uh they, they, they I mean there's a lot of like I said there's a lot of set moving so like there's moving chairs, there's there's all this stuff um but like it actually genuinely seems like they all really do get along like as as good as their camaraderie is on the show and as smooth as it is. It, it really does seem that way. When the cameras are off, and I think that's really cool. It seems like they really all enjoy doing what they do, and man, I can't blame them. It looks like the best job in the world, doesn't it?
2: It does. I mean, you show up and you talk about football, but they're they do they all do a wonderful job. and um, it was just a lot of fun to see. And I was curious from your vantage point because I know you got a backstage kind of a backstage pass, and uh, it's really, really cool. You know you fast forward during the day. Ole Miss had a lot of people on campus. Kind of the running joke was um, who was going. To, real quick before we get away from game day, you know, we were talking a lot about who was going to be the guest picker, and that was that kind of went on and on. You have to believe somebody at ESPN either dropped the ball or something because I mean I can't imagine they had Lane Kiffin in the back of their pocket uh, the entire week.
4: Yeah, no. So that, that that's what was really funny because like I think the first thing we all did when we got there was we asked you know the the person who was kind of. Uh, showing us around the set like hey like who's the guest picker and she was like it's a secret and I was like okay and then like an hour later it started like whispering that it was Lane and we were like no like it can't be like that's gotta yeah. be like he's gonna come out with somebody on stage and then they were like no it's actually him so they would not tell us if if he was always plan a but it's hard for me to believe right uh, and, and as great of a job as he did and he you know he sold it he is he he was great and he was funny uh, but you know, it's, it's hard for me to imagine that, that he was at the top of the list when they normally have, you know, like, again, like last time was Katy Perry. It's always some, it's sometimes, you know, it was Nick Lachey in Cincinnati. It's usually these kind of random celebrities that tangentially have to do with the place they're at. So I have to think that, you know, maybe somebody <laughs> fell through or, uh, you know, I, I, for just in, in sort of talking with the production uh, assistant, uh, earlier in the week, it, it really can come down to the wire, and like they have backups, and it it, it kind of seems like they might have been on uh, on their third string or walk on.
2: Yeah, and and you'll appreciate this at some point. You know, last um, last night we record on Sunday, um, Saturday. I know you're in the press box, but the light show prior to the team running out on the field, I turned into a twelve year old kid again, and uh, I thought it was just wonderful, and I thought the production of the the Ole Miss staff and the game day staff did a really good job on Saturday.
4: Absolutely. I mean, it was um, – you know, there's there are so many things that can go wrong with something like that, and it was about as as smooth as you could possibly ask for. Like you said, like that light show is amazing. But even just like starting at the beginning of the day, like, you know, you, you can – Sometimes you never know if there's going to be an unruly set of fans or, uh, you know, if there's going to be a gap on set or, you know, whatever it is. Uh, It was just smooth. It was it was easy access. You know, there's thousands of people there, but it only took me like five minutes to get back to my car. Like it was just very smooth. It wasn't stressful. Um, It was just a really cool experience. And just just to see, you know, especially given how weird last year was with a lack of fans, it was just so cool to see people get excited. For something like this again, I, I think it's you know it's it, it's been not only just seven years in the making, but just everything that's happened in the last year. Uh, I think it it, it kind of made yesterday hit a, a little bit harder for everybody in in the best
2: possible way. If I were to tell you over four hundred yards uh, total offense versus ninety one yards of total offense, what score would you have predicted?
4: Uh, well, I would have assumed they scored four touchdowns in the first half. And then I would have assumed that uh, maybe a field goal in the second half. And the score ended up being pretty close to that. But yeah. it was just – it was a very weird game. I, I kept turning to to Parrish, uh, my, our, our college sports editor at the Daily Journal, and I kept saying like this is just kind of weird. Like they're moving the ball. Like you say, you know, Jerry Neely had 122 yards rushing in the first half. They were moving the ball. Um, and then – you know, they, they had two drives that got down to the one yard line where they got three total points. I think it was three drives that got deep in territory that only ended up in uh, three points. It was, you know, it, we just expect so much from this offense because we have seen it do so many cool things and and, and great things uh, for, for the vast majority of the year. And, um, you know, I, I, I think for me, coming into the game, I thought there was. The only way Ole Miss was going to win the game was if Matt Corral had his Heisman day, and he did not have his Heisman day. And no. he'll probably be the first to tell you that he he did he he missed some open throws. He was not the sharpest as we've seen him. I thought that was the only way that Ole Miss was going to win. I thought they would win a close game if they did. I thought the other possibilities were um, A&M rolls because they're more physical, um, or um, you know, it, it's it, it's a shootout. Um, I I didn't think that. That Ole Miss was going to be able to win a defensive game like that, and I think that it's—I think part of why Lane was so happy when he came in in the press conference, like, yeah, obviously they just beat a you know a top twelve team, uh, but the it was the way they won. Like mm-hmm. everybody, everybody expects them to win by you know scoring forty points a game, but to win a game like that where the defense came through late and. And really provided the game's pivotal moments—the safety, the two interceptions, the, the two-point conversion stop late that kept it at a two-possession game. Uh, I mean, it was—I um, I, I think we'd all kind of been waiting for Ole Miss to, to really win a game like that. And I don't know if you know—I'll I, I, admit, like I, I didn't think they could do it. And to see them win a game like that against a—you know, A&M was one of the hottest teams in college football. Again, they beat. Alabama and I know maybe that doesn't hold as much weight as it did you know when the season started but Alabama's still Alabama they're still really really good and they're going to make the playoff most likely uh, you know it's probably the second best defense in the country behind Georgia and you know they did just enough on offense and you know they 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 did what they had to do on defense and you know it was really i kind of one of the first times i felt like the game was in the defense's hands for you know, almost all four quarters, just kind of given how the offense was going and the defense actually did it. And it was um, it it, it was a, you know, it was not a pretty game. I think everybody will tell you that. But it was a really, really impressive game because they won a game I didn't think they had the ability to just in sort of the style.
2: I guess there, if there is a cause for concern, it's the red zone offense. Ole Miss had been pretty good coming in. Uh, to the game in red zone offense, getting down to the one-foot line twice, three times actually inside the red zone and only getting three points. Obviously, that's the number one the number one thing there. The The one thing I thought, and I'd love your thoughts on this, Michael, is Matt Corral, Ontario Drummond, Braylon Sanders, they all played, but they did not look sharp. They dropped balls, um, Look like there was some miscommunication. Do you think that's just because, number one, they haven't been practicing very much, and two – They've been injured and they haven't been on the team or at least practicing the last couple of weeks.
4: Yeah, I mean, it's hard not to imagine there's a little bit of a rust factor. There there were a couple moments where, you know, Matt threw a, an in-breaking pass to, to Drummond and it looked really, really sharp. And, it, you know, he was snagging it, you know, just out of the air and it looked beautiful. And then there were some moments where the passes were behind or... Uh, you know they were just like there. I think I don't remember who it was down the sideline, but Matt missed a wide open guy uh, in the end zone. He would have walked in, and it's just that's it's, it's kind of happened a little bit over the last few weeks. But it's kind of hard to you know blame it when you know Matt is not a hundred percent. I know he said he's getting closer, um, but you know he 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 was just carted off a couple weeks ago. It's not like uh, he's he, he you know he's he's a hundred percent. And you know Drummond didn't play last week, and, and Mingo's been out since Alabama, I think, was the first game he missed. Um, so it's it, it's understandable that they're maybe a little bit rusty. I, I think... I think... I, I, I hate to say that an SEC game can be a tune-up game, but let's be honest, that's kind of what Vanderbilt is. Uh, that is not a, a particularly threatening team by most accounts. Uh, I, I No doubt they'll play hard, uh, but I think it would take a lot to happen for Ole Miss not to win that one pretty handily. I think it's an opportunity to kind of get back on track in terms of the things that they had done so well early in the year offensively and just kind of sharpen those things up before the Egg Bowl because, man, don't look now, but all of a sudden Mississippi State is like they're they, – oh, some days they look like the worst team in the country and some days they look like the best team in the country and sometimes it differs from half to half. They are they're, they are a very strange team, but they're playing a really good ball overall. And So I, I think next week – or I guess this coming week – uh, against Vanderbilt, it, it's going to be really important for them to tune up those offensive things and kind of get the rhythm back and, and make sure that, you know, if they're going to keep going for it on fourth down, you know, they they can't keep being 0 for 3, I think they were yesterday, uh, and they, you know, they weren't going to get stubborn either. Um, I, I think they need to, to kind of, if they're going to stay aggressive, they need to sharpen those things, and y- you cannot go over 3 in the red zone. Um, that's, that's not going to get it done, especially in the Egg Bowl, when, as, as you know, things tend to get a little bit strange.
2: Well, this season's been strange, frankly, um, in a lot of ways. <laughs> in, in, in two more questions about this game. Number one, has there been a more improved player than wide receiver Ja'Cour uh, Pearson?
4: Man, you know it's funny because you know coming into the year, I, I kind you know, I knew a little bit about his backstory and that you know he'd had a uh, some a fairly productive career at, at Western Kentucky, and then I had people asking me like, hey, like what have you seen from him in the preseason? And I just said. I I hadn't even noticed them, um, because he wasn't really standing out, and he, that was kind of the case earlier in the year too. He just kind of, you know, he come in every once in a while. Um, he, you know, he, he just wasn't making plays when he was in, and really over the last few weeks, he's been a game changer, especially with everybody hurt. Uh, he 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 has really stepped into a, a really nice role as a, uh, you know, I, I can't imagine there's a better. Third, fourth, whatever you want to call him, option. I guess it kind of depends on the day and how healthy they are. Uh, but he, he really. Uh, it seems like Matt is very comfortable with him, and uh, you know, for the most part, he's been dependable. He's been more explosive, I think, than uh, we might have previously thought, or at least what I thought from what I saw, you know, in preseason camp and whatnot. He—he uh, he really kind of went from, you know, a, a non-factor the few first few games to a very, very big part of an offense that I think is going to need him for you know this stretch
2: run. Looking at the game against Arkansas, Tennessee, Liberty, and now Texas A&M, the number one factor in all four of those games is the Ole Miss defense has stepped up and made the play uh, at the end of the game. Not necessarily at the end of the game against A&M, but the two-point conversion, uh, the pick six, that obviously secured the game for Ole Miss. I guess I haven't been as – you know supportive in my thoughts on this Ole Miss defense but it's definitely coming around for sure where are you right now on this Ole Miss defense
4: you know it's after what I saw yesterday I'm a lot hotter on it than I was because you know and and they've kind of talked about this like they haven't really played that full four-quarter game and they haven't really been sure why and I think yesterday was about as close as we got yeah you know they gave up you know points in in the second half but you know, again, you only gave up 19 points uh, against a very good A&M team. That's not really anything to kind of hang your hat on, especially when your offense was kind of stalling and you were forced into some, some bad situations. And so, uh, you know, I think coming into the season, my whole thought was if this defense is even a little bit better than it was in 2020, this Ole Miss team has a chance to be really, really good. And, you know, there's been some ups and downs. You know, the Arkansas game at at points it looked like the 2020 defense, especially in that fourth quarter when there were 42 combined points scored or whatever it was. Um, but in, in games like yesterday in, in Liberty, for the most part, in, in, like you said, Tennessee, um, the, and even the second half at Auburn kept you know the defense kept them in that yeah, game. Yeah, forgot about that.
2: You know, only three points. You're right.
4: Yeah, and you know the defense really kind of kept them in a game where the offense was was not doing anything. Um, They, they, it's the, the defense has really impressed me. You know, is it Georgia's stop unit? No, of course not. Is it Alabama's probably not, but it is, it is, it's, it's not a liability anymore. And I think that's, I think that was the most important thing this year. Uh, I don't know if anybody ever thought that the defense was going to be, you know, a top 10 group this year. But now it's it's not the reason they're losing games, and yesterday it was the reason they won a game, and I, I, I think that's really important because um, you know the offense is going to get hot. That you know it, there's too many good players not to. I they will get back to doing their thing. Um, oh, you know over over the last few games of, of, of this season. Um, but but to be able to count on the defense is is something they couldn't do last year. It was something that they weren't really you know, always able to do this year. But I think now. They can do that, and I think that's really, really big.
2: Were you surprised at all? Number one, with the fake punt call, how it was uh, <laughs> executed. Number two, were you surprised that Lane Kiffin did not go under center at all when uh, he was down on the goal line when it was at the literally the six-inch line?
4: Yeah. So, I mean, the fake punt and the fake field goal were certainly. Um, they were certainly decisions. I think that's the best thing I can say on those was <laughs> just uh, it was wild. Uh, you know, it, you can laugh about it when uh, when you win, but I think those would have been heavily scrutinized if if, uh, if things had gone the other way. Uh, a little bit surprised, you know, if Ole Miss is going to be aggressive like they always are, like why not just go for it on fourth like you normally do, and you know have your normal offense in. Um, that's kind of where I was at. I, like, I, I understand wanting to go for it. I just don't know if deception is necessarily the the best way to do it, especially with you know holders and, and punters, you know, trying to run for for tough yardage. Um, I, 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 as far as the under center thing, so as a USC fan who watches the air raid offense, this has frustrated me forever. The inability for USC never goes under center even when they're on the goal line, and that has frustrated me forever because it always seems like they're going to lose yards and it's really hard to get going downhill. And I just kind of think that's where college football is right now, just in terms of the shotgun. I'm a little bit surprised that they didn't, uh, you know, I mean they were basically on like the one inch line at one point Um, and, you know, try to, try try to bully in a little bit, but I think that's just kind of what the offense is. And I think there's just a lot of teams that, that just don't go under center. And it's, it's weird as somebody who grew up like watching I formation teams and even my USC teams that were really good were always under center. Um it's I think it's just kind of where college football is and I think it can be a little bit frustrating especially when it doesn't work. And there were a couple times where it definitely did not work uh last night, but uh I I think that's just I think that's their offense and I I I I think they're I think they're sticking to it, you know.
2: Any early returns on right guard Eli Acker? I know that was the The most substantial playing time he had all year long, stepping in for Jalen Cunningham. Of course, that's the position occupied by the injured Ben Brown.
4: Yeah, I mean, if you look at it, they ran for, you know, well over 200 yards or whatever it was. And it's the most rushing yards that, you know, AM, I believe, had given up this year. Uh, And again, that's, you know, that is one of the best defensive fronts in college football with a bunch of NFL caliber players. You know, there's a reason that they were the number two scoring defense. Uh, coming in, in, in coming into yesterday's game, uh, I, I think that you know I know the offensive line has, has not always. I think they've been re- they've been good all season, but they haven't necessarily been great, and there hasn't always been a a huge push. And there's there's been some miscommunication, there've been some penalties, and and there's there's still those things. You know, there's false starts and holds and all that kind of stuff. But um, I, I think that to to do what they did against. An a and front that, you know, the only one that they've, they've played better is Alabama. Um, I, I really think they, they they really held their own, um, you know, especially early in that game when Jerry Neely was just, he had some huge holes uh, to run through. And, you know, the holes got smaller as the game went on, and, and, and A&M kind of tightened up a little bit. But, you know, it's, to put up you know 250-whatever rushing yards uh, against A&M, uh, and, and really to... You know, there were a lot of reasons the passing game wasn't working, but I don't really think it was because of the offensive line. Um, I, I, I really think that they—they, they, I think Eli Acker did a great job. I think they all did a, a pretty good job. That—that's where I thought the game was potentially going to turn for the worse for Ole Miss was their offensive line versus A&M's defensive line. And it, it, you know, at worst case, it was neutralized, and at best case, Ole Miss won a lot of those fights, and I think that's that was really really important.
2: Michael Katz covers Ole Miss for the Northeast Mississippi Daily Journal. Uh, does a fantastic job. Be sure and follow him on Twitter. That's Michael L. Katz, K-A-T-Z. He was also the uh, NSMA Wyoming Sports Writer of the Year back in 2020 and has done a phenomenal job covering this Ole Miss football team and uh, also covering Ole Miss basketball. We'll get into that when the time's right. Right now, Michael, believe it or not, Ole Miss is not really, at least their, their fans are not ready to turn the page to the round ball just yet. Uh still, still a little football left. You know, this team is, the, as you well know, this is a program that's never won 10 games in the regular season. So they're about to have the opportunity to do that. Uh, but Vanderbilt, of course, and Mississippi State stand in their way. Real quick, if you were a hypoth- hypothesized that Ole Miss goes 10-2, and two, what kind of bowl game you think the Rebels are looking at?
4: I mean, uh, I – Uh, uh, a New Year's Six bowl, of Peach and Fiesta. I've seen Peach, I've seen Fiesta, I've seen Sugar. I, I think it, it, if they were to go ten and two, they are uh, absolutely a New Year's Six team. They're, I don't think they're they're, they're not going to make the playoff um, just because I don't think they have the good enough win. And you know, the two losses is always going to kind of be held against them. I know they're kind of talking that A and M might be the first two loss team, uh, but they had that win against the number one team. Ole Miss doesn't quite have that, um, but I, I think with the brand of football that Ole Miss plays like they are exciting people want to watch the Lane Kiffin offense and that Corral and everything that they can do I think if they go 10 and 2 they are good they're going to be in a really pos- a good position to play in one of those New Year's Six games I've seen them against Notre Dame I've seen them against you know, Wake Forest I mean there's just there's a lot of really cool options and you know, I mean, it's all right in front of them. I think it's it, it's going to be a really fun, uh, you know, stretch end of the season. And, boy, Thanksgiving is going to be a lot of fun, too.
2: Yeah, and, I mean, you know, you cannot make that point big enough. This Mississippi State team is definitely catching its stride late in the game – late in the season, I'm sorry. And Will Rogers is playing as good as any quarterback in the country. And that game on Thanksgiving for the first time in I don't know how long is going to be for second in the SEC West.
4: Pending, Crazy. That,
2: pending that Alabama beats Arkansas, which they will, and they'll beat them handily. So uh, it'll definitely be fun to watch, and we we'll appreciate you being part of the program here. Always a great contributor. And, uh, Michael, thanks very much for jumping on today. Appreciate it, man. Thanks
4: for having me.
1: And Ole Miss Podcast with your host, Brad Logan. Download the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe, rate, and leave a review online. Be sure and check us out on Twitter at Brad Logan, C-O-T-E, and at Believe Podcasts, as well as Facebook Brad Logan Media. From The Vault